All right, this past Sunday night, uh, we did a prayer service for our students, teachers, staff, uh, going back to schools. And if you missed that, what we've gathered is in our newsletter. You can see that outside. Uh, whichever door you go out of, I encourage you to grab that newsletter. And what we're asking each person to do is to write out a verse that they are praying for our staff, students, and teachers, or write out their prayer. And here are just a couple of examples. You might not have great handwriting. Try to make it to where people can read this. And we're going to put this up on the bulletin board. If we get enough, we'll hang them up. Uh, if you're an overachiever like Miss Glenda, you can use two different colors. Have a verse and a prayer. Um, look for these cards. So just a redemption card on the back. It is blank. Isaiah, you mind helping me out with this? If you will put this outside where that sits. Demarcus, can you take these? Set them outside here. As you leave, if you can, remember, grab one, write it down this week. You can put it in the offering plate next week, uh, or you can give it to me. We'll hang them up. So we're, we're praying for our students, praying for our teachers and our staff. We are back in school. Um, I would say by Tuesday after Labor Day, everyone is back in school. All I know is my goal at the beginning of this week on Monday was to make it to Friday and enjoy a three-day weekend. I made it, barely, but I made it. Uh, on a serious note, it was an awesome week. Uh, it's always good to see students. Um, I, I, love, I don't like the, the professional development days uh, where you're listening to speaker after speaker, PowerPoint after PowerPoint, strategy after strategy. I love students. Uh, that's why I am in the building. And so it just breathes uh, some fresh air in the place when the students show up. Today, in your Bibles, we're in Ecclesiastes. We're looking at chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. And basically, Solomon today gives us a meaningless sandwich. So, one piece of bread, something that if you pursue is meaningless. The other piece of bread, something that you pursue is meaningless. But in the middle, in the middle of this text is something that has meaning. And what you're going to see in what I believe Solomon is urging the people to see is that we're better together. Nobody can be taken for granted as a part of the body. And so that's what we're going to see as we read Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting with verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. What does under the sun mean? Remember there's two threads that he alternates between, a vertical thread referring to God, and then a horizontal thread under the sun is the hint. So he's looking again under the sun, outside of an eternal perspective with God. He says, I saw something else that's meaningless. And then he explains it in verse 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no wind to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor than a wise youth 
than an old foolish king who is no longer knows how to take a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship or may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before him, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too, meaningless, chasing after the wind. Father, I pray that as we come to your word, we cling to what is meaningful. I pray that we see that Jesus is the key to this text, that he is the one that helps us out of the pit. He is the one that fans into flame spiritual life. He is the one who defeats the spiritual enemy. And Father, we are not alone because of him. Help us see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at different stats and looking at loneliness. 33% of people in the United States describe themselves as being perpetually lonely. In a world filled with people, 33% say they are lonely. 61% of younger people in the United States are chronically lonely. This isn't a problem for older folks. It is a problem for younger. And it is a major issue. Life after high school is lonely. You're used to going day in and day out after school with your friends, and now all of a sudden, some go to college, some don't, some go to work, and some don't. But it's a new arena, and it can be a lonely place. Another demographic that suffers from loneliness, 51% of mothers with young children also report feeling lonely. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Ben, I don't fit any of those, but I do feel lonely. Well, that's because you were created to be in a relationship with your God and with His people. We don't do well on our own. You look at social media, Facebook users average 338 friends on social media. Now listen, I don't know how many Facebook friends you have. I have a few and I don't even know how I got them. Right? I don't recognize the name, I don't recognize the faces, but they're there. I've got some friends. Snapchat snaps usually by an average user will snap 20 to 40 times a day. It's a great way for students to connect, communicate with each other. Instagram, 2 billion monthly active users. U.S. adult average spends 30 minutes a day on this social media platform. We have never been more connected while at the same time more lonely. What an opportunity we have as a church to be together. I was uh, getting ready to come and speak, and Coach Hop, Coach Hop keeps us up to date on all the hottest news articles. And this just came out. You want to know the most miserable city to live in in the state of Kentucky? According to Newsbreak, Covington. Covington was voted the most miserable city in the state of Kentucky to live. And if you went to our Covington school board meeting this past week, you might understand why. It did not go well. But they, they put down uh, the rate of unemployment, the demographics of poverty, and all of these issues. What an awesome opportunity we have to be a bright spot in a dark city. 
But how sad is it if a church in this city has a reputation of being a depressing place, of being a lonely place? I hope, and you guys have heard this, some of the metaphors that we use for church, church is a family, right? Because of the work of Christ, we are adopted by the Father. We are children of God. That makes us brothers and sisters. That's a family. You also see the picture of body. And where one member of your body suffers, all members suffer, right? So I, I don't want to brag about this because I haven't done it too much. I've made it a couple of days with Andrew. We're trying to start working out. We got to get in shape. Well, I did lunges. And when I say I did lunges, I did a couple of them. And I go down and I go back up. And today my hamstring feels like it's about to pop, right? I'm not confident getting back up these steps. One member of my body, a simple hamstring, is ruining the rest of my members of my body. You know what? The same has to be true in the church. If you're a part of the body, you are super important to us. When you're hurting, we're hurting. And when you're rejoicing, we're rejoicing. We are better together. And this is one area, as a church, we have to work on. So, Redemption Church folks, we've got to figure out how to get into each other's lives amongst busy schedules, busy routines, working all sorts of different hours. we got to figure this out. Now, the joy class. If you're in the joy class, could you just lift up your hand real quick? Joy class members, you guys have this figured out, right? So you meet before the service. Most of you meet on Wednesday night. If something happens, everybody gets a call and a message. By the time I find out, the person who is, whoever being prayed for has already been prayed for, many times has a card in the mail, many times has a visitor. The joy class loves each other well, better together. And so just please understand this as a church, this is where we need to grow. We need to know who's struggling. We need to know who's walking with Jesus. We need to encourage each other, spur each other on to keep walking with Jesus because life is dangerous when you're alone. And so as we go through this text, what the writer, what Solomon is urging, what he's pleading with people, is don't be about yourself. And man, this is a problem in the United States. We stress individualism above the group. To go and get after it. And live out your dreams. You did it your way. That's the way to death. That's a way to live a meaningless life. The call is, let's follow Jesus and let's follow him together. So let's, let's dig in. First off, uh, <laughs> we'll go with, with meaningless uh, bread number one. Life pursuing wealth. This is verses 7 and 8. You see that this guy, he's alone, has no son or brother, no close, strong family relationships. He has no time for them. He's all about his company. He doesn't have time for meaningful relationships. If you don't contribute to his success, he doesn't have time for you. He's driven. You see that in the middle of verse 8. He's relentless in his work. There's no end to his toil. There's no end to his toil. He's about his work. If he's awake, he's working. But then you also see at the end of verse 8, he's never satisfied. More is never enough. His eyes were never content with his wealth. Just a little more was his motto. Now, we've hit this pretty hard. But this is just a reminder, don't go after this stuff. 
If you're working 70, 80 hours a week, you're going to sacrifice other things that are very important in your life. So ask God to give you a heart of wisdom. If you're pursuing your work for your life, you'll end up living a meaningless life. When I read this, I'm reminded of a guy named Steve Jobs. Now listen, Steve Jobs was one of the most creative people on the planet and produced one of the most unique products on the planet, the iPhone, right? Steve Jobs, he co-founded Apple, but he treated people who worked for him terribly. He worked seven to nine. He didn't believe in showering or wearing shoes. He was a different man, different thinker. Worked hard, but didn't tolerate those who didn't work hard. He didn't care about the person. He cared about the product. He would fire people with no notice, and then when they complained they didn't get two weeks, he said, you did, but it's retroactive. You were fired two weeks ago. Deal with it. He would steal money from his friend. Early on, him and Steve Wozniak, who also was the co-founder, <clears throat> had a game for Atari. Does anybody remember Atari? Video game system, one joystick, right? Pong, bing, bing, I mean, high tech. Well, Wozniak created Breakout, which competed with uh, Pong, or I think it might be Ping. I've forgotten the name. Pong, thank you, thank you. See, we, we got, whew, might be hitting a nerve with Atari. We got some fans in the room. Yeah. Guess how much they got for creating a game? $750. And Steve Jobs says, you know what, we'll split everything we get 50-50. But what he didn't tell Wozniak was that he had also gotten a $5,000 bonus for getting done early. But Steve Jobs didn't get done early. Steve Wozniak got done early. And he didn't tell Wozniak about the bonus. So Woz, the creator of the game, who did most of the legwork, got his 375, and Steve Jobs got his 5,375. Didn't care about friendships, cared about product. Created products no one knew they wanted, but he even denied his daughter's existence for most of her life. You can sell something more than anybody else on the planet, and that's exactly how you can waste your life. That's what Solomon is warning us about. So, the meaningless of pursuing life as if it consists in your possessions. But then he also gives us this meaningless sandwich. If you look down at the bottom, verses 13 to 16, the other slice of bread that's meaningless is that of advancement. You could say it's politics. They're talking about kings. There was a foolish king that didn't listen, and there was this young guy, and Honestly, it reminds us in the church of a guy by the name of Joseph. And what you see is, it's better to be poor but a wise youth than an old and foolish king. The youth can advance from prison or poverty to become king. There's a possibility to be somebody, to make something of yourself if you've got a little wisdom. Right? There's a benefit to being wise and not a fool. However, youth becomes king, everyone follows him, but then he dies. And then there's a successor, and then a successor. And the people get tired of following those that come after them. And Solomon's looking at that, and he's like, well, that's pointless. And here's our warning. And listen, I don't get into politics only as a warning. 
no matter who runs and no matter who wins the election coming up next year, that's not our Savior. So be very, very careful putting your hopes on a candidate. Your hope and my hope is on Jesus Christ. So if I was looking at this for uh, an example, I, I would use, how many of you have seen The Greatest Showman? All right. So I think this might be a different crew than those who played Atari. So I'm hitting a lot of people in the room. Greatest Showman about P.T. Barnum, played by Hugh Jackman. Um, he grew up poor, wanted to make a name for himself, uh, created the circus, invited people, went on a world tour with a famous singer. Uh, pretty popular guy. Now, also a lot of negative things in his life, but... There's a song, when he comes to his senses, after his circus burnt down and his wife and family left him, titled, From Now On. And the lyrics go like this. He hung out with kings and queens. Politicians praised my name. For years and years, I chased their cheers at a crazy speed of always needing more. He wanted that advancement. He wanted to make a difference. He was pursuing something, right? And, and some of us are thinking, man, if I could just get this position... If I could just get to this promotion, there's the warning. Say so he was blinded by the lights, but from now on, I will not be blinded. I will not put off till tomorrow what will start tonight. After 146 years, the Barnum and Bailey Circus shut down in 2017. Does anybody know the owner of the Barnum and Bailey Circus today? I didn't either. I didn't either. All of his life's work, gone. If you put your life and bank it on only having meaning because of what you create and what position you have, you will live a meaningless life. That's what Solomon is warning us about. You have Joseph mentioned him earlier he was sold by his brothers uh, into slavery then he was rising into power then he was falsely accused thrown into jail and from jail he became second in command after saving Egypt but even that didn't last a guy that rescued the country from a world famine didn't last and you read in Exodus 1 8 says now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph that's how the Israelites were put into slavery in Egypt. And eventually you get to Moses. You see, things are quickly, quickly forgotten. And so in between uh, pursuing wealth and pursuing advancement, you have this few verses of living life together that's full of meaning. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Verse 9 says, two are better than one. Because they have good return on their labor. We need each other. And we know this from the Bible, right? You see this in Genesis chapter 2. In paradise, Adam is alone. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. So he created a suitable helpmate. Even in the garden, under perfect conditions, it wasn't good for us to be alone. And then we see in Leviticus, how are we to relate to one another? Love your neighbor as yourself. Terrell Owens was famous for saying, I love me some me. We know how to love ourselves. If you're hungry, you're going to feed yourself. If you need something, you're going to get it. 
How you love yourself is how you are to love your neighbor. Then, Jesus, when he's asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So you could cover the whole Old Testament if you'll just love God with everything you got and love others like you love yourself. And you want to know what's awesome? Your love for God will be seen in how you love others. But also, your lack of love for others may show a lack of love for God. Jesus sends his disciples out on their own. No, he sends them out two by two. The church sends out missionaries on their own. No, they're in teams. It's amazing to read all the fellas that hang out with Paul. You've got men and women working with Paul, strengthening and growing the mission. Now, Paul gets a lot of credit, and rightly so, but it's amazing how many teams went with Paul. And then when he leave a church, there were teams in the cities. Don't be alone. Acts chapter 2 shows how the church is together in community, serving one another, loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. And so here we go. Two are better than one, and he gives us three reasons. Two are better than one, and he gives us three reasons. Number one, pick up. Ecclesiastes 4.10. Fear then falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Think about the time period in which this was written. There's no electricity. There's no light posts on the pathway. There's no sidewalks. So you go out walking at night trying to get somewhere, and you stumble and trip. You could fall into a ravine. You could fall into a ditch. There's also these things called pits that are there to trap animals that they don't want walking around their towns. And you fall into one of those pits, you're not getting out until somebody walks by to land you a hand to help you out. If you fall into one, it's impossible to get yourself out. And that's why it's a pity if someone falls and has no one to help. Now, there's these... Have you guys heard of a race called Tough Mudder? Tough Mudder is just a, an obstacle course race. It's about 10 miles long, and there's obstacles with um, <laughs> electrocution. You run under it, it has wires, it'll zap you. Uh, you jump into a dumpster filled with ice water, so you're frozen and you're electrocuted. But the hardest obstacle was something called the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall is a 12-foot-tall wall. I don't know how much you know about me, but one of God's gifts to me was not a vertical jump. I'm not jumping very high. So I see this wall, and I'm like, I'm not getting up there. But the cool thing about Tough Mudder is you sign up with a team. So you get, my brothers were with me, a couple friends, and you game plan how you're going to get up the wall. So you start out, and you give somebody a foot, boom, throw them up, and hopefully they can grab it. And then they'll sit on top of the wall. The next guy comes, reach down, grab a hand, 
put them up, they slide down. Next guy goes. Next guy goes. Next guy goes. And it's funny, it's a really simple thing, but the Tough Mudder organization says we love this obstacle because it requires teamwork. They say it's amazing what happens when there's one person that's setting all these records, gets to this wall first, they can't get over it until someone's there to help them. I thought, man, that's a pretty cool picture. That's a pretty cool picture. Here's my question. Do you have someone in your life that gives you a helping hand? That can pick you up out of the pit? For me, I've had numerous people. So growing up, I had a mom that she could see pits before I saw them. And she says, Ben, you're getting too close to the edge. You need to come back over here. And so all through middle school, high school, mom just keeping me out of pits. And then when I fall, giving me a hand to get back up. I had a church. I had a lot of members growing up that was willing to speak truth. And they allowed me to get close enough, and they were close enough to me that they could see, like, oh, that's not right. That, that's not good. You don't want to go there, Ben. And they were able to reach out a hand and help me out of the pit. And now, as a pastor, I've got other pastor friends. I've got church members here. I've got family. I've got a lot of people that keep me out of the pit. Do you have anybody? How bad is it if you fall into a pit and there's nobody there to help you out? You want to know who did an awesome job of getting people out of pits? Jesus. Jesus always was doing this. You have this demon-possessed man, and nobody can control him, and so they chain him up. But he's in such bad shape, he breaks the chains, and he's running around naked among the tombstones. Like, nobody wants anything to do with him. Jesus comes over in the boat, gets off, and heals the man. Hey, man, get out of that pit. There's a woman at the well, and She's been married before multiple times and nothing's working out in her life. And she's in a desperate pit. And Jesus just says, hey, come here. Get up out of that pit. Then you have Peter, who had walked with Jesus for years, was a dear friend of Jesus. And yet, at Jesus' darkest moment, Peter is at his worst. And yet... Jesus doesn't leave him there. He says, Peter, get up on out of that pit. Maybe you're in a pit and you can't get out. Go to Jesus. And what you will find is he's already reaching his hand out. This is what Jesus does. And so I want you to think, two are better than one. Why? Because if one falls, he'll have someone to help pick him up. Two things from this text, from, from this, from, from picking up. Who are you picking up? And then who do you have that can pick you up? Hey, and sometimes you just get, need to give people permission to speak truth into your life. Uh, there's a, a book, Tim Keller, Meaning of Marriage, and I, I love sharing this with husbands and wives. It says, husbands and wives have the opportunity to know each other better because you're with each other. You're going to know good, bad, and ugly. And it says, but then they also have the opportunity to be honest with each other. 
saying, hey, this is a blind spot. Hey, this isn't good. You don't need to be doing this. And now here's the hard part. If you're loving but not honest, it's not anything deep. It's a fan, not a wife or a husband. But if you're honest and not loving, it's a boss. Do this, do this, do this. But when you know someone deeply and you're honest with someone thoroughly and then you have grace, that's where you grow. And so when Julianne says, Ben, you're struggling here, and I think you need to repent of that, I could say, well, Julianne, you're struggling here. And I could defend myself, and then there's no growth. And we're both in a pit. Or I can see it for what it is, Julianne reaching out her hand saying, hey, get out of the pit. And I can turn from my sin and trust Jesus to forgive me, ask her, her or whoever to forgive me. That's how you get out of the pit. That's what it looks like spiritually speaking. Do you have somebody that you're able to reach a hand out to to get out of a pit? And then, who have you given permission to to get you out of the pit? But I know this. On the Christian journey, we're all going to stumble and fall. And we need hands out helping others up. Um, One thing from, and I I won't get too specific, but there was a church member uh, got pregnant out of wedlock. And the fear was to show back up at church. Right? Because you can't, you can't hide all of your stumbles and all of your falls. And I thought, what an indictment on the church. Don't try to hide when you're in a pit. This is the place for people that fall into pits. Because this is the only place that has the answer for it. And it's Jesus. And the only reason we can pull anybody out of a pit is because Jesus has pulled us out. And so I hope, and my prayer, is that we don't hide in our sin, but we pull out of the pit. We're a gracious church, an honest church, a loving church. We pick each other up. We pull each other out of the pit. All right, so that's the first reason. Two are better than one because we pick each other up. But then, now now this is a little weird, especially if you're teaching high school or middle school students. You warm each other up. But I want you to understand the time and the setting. Ecclesiastes 4.11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? This illustration comes from not only the dangers of traveling and falling in pits, but also traveling at night when it gets cold. If you've ever been outside on a cold night and you don't have a blanket or a sleeping bag, you understand what he's writing about. I remember we stayed, we went on a trip with uh, students and I, it was my brother and Tracy Pope as chaperones. We're in a gym. It wasn't cold outside, but it was freezing inside. They had cranked the AC up, and I had a sheet. And I wasn't about to go jump in Andrew's sleeping bag. However, I did take his blanket. This is the cure for staying warm. You had a cloak, not a very warm cover. And you had another person. And you could either freeze and die, or you could lay down close to each other, share the cloaks, and your body heat keep each other warm. You want to know who this isn't funny to? The guys that are in a foxhole, fighting as soldiers, trying to keep warm. A group of soldiers huddling together to stay warm. 
Is there anyone that fans into flame your walk with Jesus? You might be sitting here right now and you are cold in your relationship to Christ. You may have been walking with Jesus for years, but for whatever reason, the season you're in right now is bitter and cold. And you need someone to come and pour a little gasoline on the fire. You know, it doesn't take much. It could be a word of encouragement. And I don't mean a generic encouragement. I mean something specific that you see God doing in someone's life. And you don't take it for granted. You go and tell them, hey, this has been awesome. You've been a blessing. Thank you for this. And it's amazing how God will use that to increase the fervor for the Lord. Is there anyone in your life stirs your affections for Jesus? Is there anyone that fans into flame your love for God? Is there anybody that helps you grow in your walk with Jesus? <laughs> I, I use this as a story. Uh, throw another log on the fire. Uh, growing up, we had a, a camp out with some friends, and that friend is in the room today. I won't share a name. But we ran out of logs, but we had a pine tree, and it was dead. And the fire was going out. And this friend thought it was a great idea to throw this pine tree on the fire. And when the pine tree went on the fire, the flames reached the heavens. I thought for a second we were going to lose my buddy that was laying down in a tent because you had everything sparkling. The fire went from nothing to something in a hurry. And you want to know what? I've seen that play out spiritually again and again and again. I've seen it in my own life. It's amazing that God will put the right person at the right time to say the right thing, to just energize you, to get back on track walking with Jesus. I had a, a student pastor, and listen, we were wired about as opposite as you can be. And yet he fanned into flame a passion for following Jesus, thinking outside the box. And he goes, Ben, you're interning for your senior year. How are you going to reach your school for Jesus? So we prayed about it and thought about it. And our goal was, well, we'll just write everybody a letter, share the gospel with them, make sure every person hears the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but that's expensive. And that takes a while. And you've got to print out letters, and you're personalizing all the ones that you know of the students. And you want to know what the awesome part is? I didn't have to do it alone. The church paid for the paper and the printing and the envelopes and the postage that needed to be sent out. And then it came time to... Listen, we had a folding machine, but we're talking thousands of letters that you have to, after folding, put them into the envelope. I am so thankful. I had two brothers and a sister in my family and a mom and dad that would help. My room covered in letters and envelopes, and we spent hours just stuffing envelopes. Boom, 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 labeling the letters, getting them sent out. All because someone fanned into flame, what are you going to do for Jesus? Here's my question. Do you have anybody in your life that encourages you in your walk with Jesus? And I think we all have friends that encourage us to do something, right? So when I'm with a group of friends, all of a sudden, disc golf is fun. That wouldn't be fun with my mom. She doesn't like throwing Frisbees. We ain't going to talk about disc golf. That's not her thing. Mom and I like Red Lobster. Now listen, I like Red Lobster with anybody, but particularly having great conversation with mom at Red Lobster. With my girls. We go to a park. I was hoping to talk them into disc golf, 
but the park looked fun. And that stirred my affection. Well, we're going to go over here. They had this cool swing that went away like this, and we figured, how fast can we go? Right? I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have my girls. It's amazing. Pay attention to people in your life and what passions they fan in the flame in your life. And then find those who fan in the flame your passions for Jesus and get around those people as much as you can. And then, who are you encouraging in their walk with Jesus? Who are you spurring on for good works? Who have you challenged? Like, hey, you're making the difference, but man, what else does God have for you? Where is God working in your life? What's God doing? Where are you reading in the Word? It's amazing. A little spark can blaze a fire. So, pick each other up, warm each other up, and then finally, back each other up. Get to verse 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And, and this has been so simple to illustrate. DeMarcus, I don't know if you remember this. We used to have twigs um, that we would bring in for our devotional. And we'd start out, we, we'd have these branches. And we'd bust, everybody could bust one branch, for the most part. Everybody can crack one branch. But then all of a sudden, you put two and three and four, and all of a sudden, you can't, then we had a guy have a bright idea he's going to bust it over his knee well it didn't break and his knee was hurt still was able to play in the game thankfully but you're not breaking after about five of these branches and it's a simple illustration on your own isolated watch out but if you have someone that has your back that's the way to live life and what you see here one can be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. How sad is it that in the church there are bodies on the ground of those who went at it alone? And I think that's a strategy of Satan. He'll try to isolate you. You don't need to go to that. You don't need to do this. You don't need to call so-and-so. The Bible describes him like a roaming lion looking for someone to devour. You know what animals the lion devours? those that are away from the pack. It's not an accident that you see yourself isolated. As a matter of fact, this was a danger for us early on in our church plant. We, we left a church where we were active members in our family. Uh, we're sitting out at homes at the picnic table with just me, my wife, and three girls. And that's a lonely place to be. But you, you want to know what? God didn't leave us alone. He sent family members, like biological family members, he sent people saying, hey, you're starting a church, I'm coming, and I want to help. Isn't it amazing that Jesus doesn't leave you alone? He sends his people. Back up. Here's the cool part. One of the best things about having two brothers, and the good news is they're younger. When you need them, they're there. When I, I needed to move something, they're there. If I got in a pickle, they're there. Now, I don't think he, he'll care if I, if I share this. Of the two brothers, it was Sam that usually was the one that would get us in the most trouble. If we're playing in the Mids League game, he was the one that would be fouling a little bit too hard. He would be the one talking a little bit too much trash. But you know what? Whenever he got in the pickle, Andrew and I were there. 
And we try to be peacemakers, but at the end of the day, we're not asking questions. If one of the brothers have an issue, the other two are there. And you want to know what I've noticed? Same is true in the church. When one of us have an issue, all of us better be there. I want us to have each other's back. I don't know if you've seen the clip, and if you haven't, you may not want to Google this because it does get a little violent. But there was an Alabama riverboat brawl that went viral. And there was this small boat of people, and I think they had been drinking too much, but they parked where the riverboat Harriet, too, was supposed to park. And so the captain of the Harriet comes over and asks them to move and then tells them to move, and then they start yelling. Well, all of a sudden, the people in the small boat, one of the guys throws a punch at the riverboat captain. All of a sudden, the crew... Now, here's the problem. Harriet's parked on the other side of the Alabama River. But they're not staying there. As a matter of fact, there was one 16-year-old that jumps out of the boat, swims across the river, gets out, and starts helping his captain. I hope, I hope we have each other's back like that. Now, listen, if I jumped out of the boat and swam across, I'd more likely drown than help in the fight but I appreciate the effort. Is that true of us? Because you wonder what happens in a lot of church. A lot of churches, what will happen is so-and-so does something, so-and-so's in trouble, so-and-so struggling here, and people will talk about it, but they won't do anything about it. You know, Jesus gives the illustration of the Good Samaritan to explain who our neighbor is. And what happens is there's this man walking down to Jericho. He fell among the hand of robbers. He was stripped and beaten, left for dead. And then there was this guy that passed and saw him. He gets off of his animal, bandages up his wounds, covers him in oil and wine to heal the infection, puts him on his own animal, walks him back, and gives money to the innkeeper if there's anything else that he needs. And then Jesus asked the question, who was the neighbor? It wasn't the religious leaders who passed by on the other side. It was the one who showed mercy. If you're going to have, and if I'm going to have each other's backs, it's going to cost us. If you're going to have each other's backs, it's going to cost you your comfort. The Good Samaritan had to get off of his animal. And he had to stay in a dangerous place probably longer than he was comfortable with. I mean, you see the bleeding and bruised man that fell into the hands of robbers. How far away are they? He doesn't know. He's just worried about getting this guy up and getting him help. Why? Because he's a neighbor. He has his back. It's going to cost you comfort. It cost him oil and wine that is a precious commodity in this day and it also cost him his comfort of being on an animal because he had to put the man there so now he's just walking dragging the guy behind him it also had to sacrifice his possessions gives up his money so he's taken care of at the end but that's a beautiful picture of how we should have each other's back it's a beautiful picture of how you love your neighbor. Never be surprised at who Jesus sends your way. Never take for granted those who sacrifice for you. And then be a neighbor to someone.
And I'll, I'll leave you with this. When you look at picking up out of the pit, fanning into flame a passion for Jesus, and then backing someone up uh, that, that's going through it spiritually, nobody does this better than Jesus. Like, this man was left for dead, but you and I are spiritually dead. And Jesus doesn't leave us alone. Ephesians talks about, but God, being rich in mercy, while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Jesus. And then we keep reading when we get down to Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10. It says, you were created beforehand for good works in Christ Jesus that you should walk in them. Like, Jesus gets us up out of the pit of death, gives us spiritual life, gives us a new purpose that we should walk in it. Does anybody remember the TV show, The Lone Ranger? All right. The Lone Ranger had a good run, 1949 to 1957. I even saw many of the reruns. There's 221 episodes of High Ho Silver... Lone Ranger saving the day. But guess how many episodes his best friend and most faithful sidekick, Tonto, was in? 217. And you want to know why he wasn't in the other four? The actor who played Tonto had a heart attack. And so they had to replace him until he got healthy and could get back on the TV series with a fictional character that was the nephew of the Lone Ranger for help. You want to know why? Because the Lone Ranger was never alone. He needed help. And the same is true for you and for me. If you're trying to navigate your Christian walk on your own, you won't make it. And you don't have to. Jesus is building his church, and we are a family, and we are a body. And we care for ours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I do pray that you show us our own hearts. Father, show us how to apply this text. Maybe there's someone that we've been meaning to encourage and we've been putting it off, and today is that day. Maybe there's someone who's in a pit and we've been hesitant to go and lend a helping hand, but today we're going to. Maybe there's someone that's in a spiritual battle and they need to know that we've got their backs. I pray that today you give us clarity and wisdom and how to speak into that situation. Father, maybe there's someone here today that's lonely and they're tired of being lonely, but they want to find a relationship with you and love and walk with other believers. I pray that they make a decision today. Father, maybe there's someone that's stuck in a pit someone losing a battle, someone that's ice cold spiritually, but they don't want to remain the same. I pray that they find Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.